0: On this edition of the Scott Thompson Show podcast with me, Scott Radley, filling in, we're going to be talking about one of the great success stories of the COVID era, a local company that you're familiar with who has turned opportunity into success. We're also going to talk about the dream of owning a cottage that so many people have. Might be getting a little tougher. And why is that? Because sales of cottages are going through the roof. Getting one not only is more expensive now, it's going to be harder. And Red Green joins us. He's got a new podcast out. Steve Smith, a.k.a. The Great Red Green, spends a few minutes on the show. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. You're familiar with that old saying of necessity being the mother of invention? Well, what we're talking about fits that mold pretty much. Um, COVID has affected an awful lot of things in an awful lot of unexpected ways. And one of those... I don't think anyone certainly considered is activities that require you to breathe heavily or blow or exhale like a whistle or like officiating sports. So what do you do if you have a whistle company and now we're in the middle of a respiratory virus plague that anytime you blow out, you're potentially passing along the virus, which nobody really wants, but you still want to officiate. You still want to have games, which we know are coming back now. Well, You get a new whistle that doesn't require blowing, or at least you have one in your back pocket that you then ramp up production and you turn it into a huge, apparently very quick business. Ron Foxcroft is a very familiar name around Hamilton, as he should be, not just for his career as an NCAA basketball referee and a million other things that he does, but also as the founder of Fox 40, which is the company that has done what I've just been describing. Ron joins us now. Ron, how are you today?
1: I am doing terrific, Scott, and and welcome to the Scott Thompson Show. I guess they don't have to change the name on the door. Scott Thompson, Scott Radley makes it no uh,
0: low budget. It, it really does, and we've also been trying desperately to convince Bill Kelly to change his name officially to Scott, just to make it really easy. Yeah. But so far he's holding off. But we'll, you know, we're still working on him.
1: That sounds like a good corporation, the three Scots.
0: Yeah, well, the, a really bad law firm. <laughs> and that. That's right. But, you know, Scott... In the, Unless you're uh, in intro, Scotland, then it's a great law firm. <laughs> that, that's right. In the intro, you
1: brought up a very good point. You need a need before a product. And, uh, you know, that's the old entrepreneurial term. Uh, for example, uh, there's no need for a $200 whistle, but there's a need for a, a $10 whistle. And I guess this uh, pandemic is is not going away as we may have heard quoted on some uh, U.S. television networks. It's not going away real soon. It's very serious. Health and safety trumps everything. And, uh, Scott, if you could be at our headquarters in the last two weeks, I, I, I believe we have communicated with just about every sports league, federation, pro amateur association in the planet. On, on the planet. In fact, I did an interview, Scott, with the BBC this morning, and they said their audience is 33 million, and I told them they better pick it up because Scott Radley and Scott Thompson and Bill Kelly have an audience of 34 million. 36. 36. Uh,
0: 36. Yeah, 36. yeah.
1: 36. That's right. So they're going to pick <laughs> up their game, Scott. But well, uh, no, well, we, we, we've heard from just about every... And you know what is is good about this? A couple of things. Number one, I know in pro sport the dollar is everything, and you've talked about that. You've talked about that on the radio and in the newspaper. But it's it's really heartening to see how health and safety are trumping everything. Health and safety mm-hmm. is paramount to these associations, to these leagues, amateur, college. University, pro, NFL, we've talked to everybody, NFL, NBA, and health and safety is the conversation right now, Scott.
0: Were you aware immediately when COVID kicked in in March 13, I think it was, at the NBA shutdown and then everything followed, did it click immediately with you? that this was going to have an effect on whistles and officiating and, and cause I mean, it doesn't, that's not what pops to my mind initially, but that's also not my business. Did you immediately say this is going to be a problem or was it later?
1: I'm a referee, not
0: a brain surgeon. And other than, you know,
1: Donnie Robertson, when he was a referee, of course he is a brain surgeon. Uh, we're not the brightest guys in the room. No, Scott, I didn't. Honestly, we've had the electronic whistle for 10 years and the use of it, uh, it's a very good use, institutional use. You know, like universities and high schools, they don't have a big budget, so when they issue a whistle to somebody refereeing intramural or a group of people refereeing intramural, it's gone. But now if they issue an electronic whistle, they can take it back when the student leaves and graduates, desanitize it, issue it again, and save some money in their budgets. No. To answer your question directly, when the pandemic hit, honestly, I just thought we would just keep selling whistles every day, which we are, by the way. Um, Some of the leagues around the world and associations that play outdoor sports uh, and are able to keep social distancing. I'll give you an example. The European Soccer League, have made a rule that if you come within six feet of a referee who's blowing the traditional Fox 40 whistle, you get a yellow card. So, no, it didn't hit us right away because the outdoor sports weren't as concerned, but boy, oh, boy, did it ever hit us with uh, indoor sports like volleyball and basketball. And also, too, we've been talking uh, to... uh, NCAA football, and, you know, also, they don't give a yard to the line of scrimmage like they do in the CFL. I mean, literally, they're nose-to-nose. The nose tackle is is right up to the nose guard and uh, the nose center. So, no, it didn't hit us, Scott, but I'll tell you, it sure has now. Um, we've got thousands of these whistles out there right now, and, and what's really exciting to me, people love their original Fox 40. You know, it's like you in radio loving your microphone. And, and we're getting literally hundreds of calls with ideas on how we can improve it, make it better. They're using it. We like it. We're adjusting. We're making the mechanics changes. So that's been a really interesting part about this whole uh, journey during the uh, pandemic.
0: You, you had though, this one already, this was already designed. This is not something you guys made up on the fly, but w- would I be correct that it's not been a whistle that has been widely, widely used over, uh, since it was created, it's been sitting there waiting for a moment like this?
1: No, it's a hack. Actually, we, we haven't sold great quantities of the electronic whistle over a 10 year period. That's what that I mean. Yeah. Say. Yeah. It was designed for institutional. I'll tell you who uses it. The, uh, the train conductors in Europe. And we sell quite a few. Actually, it was designed for institutional and safety and train conductors where the train system can just, you know, when a conductor leaves, they just take his whistle back, sanitize it and give it out again.
0: But and why? Also it's easy why? to use. Why, why would, I mean, a train conductor can blow other than now, but a train conductor can, or people institutionally could use a regular whistle. What was the advantage to an electronic whistle that you wanted to create this one? You
1: just hold it in your hand, uh, doesn't take any air, and um, they just, I don't know, Scott, honestly. Um, I guess it's just uh, a personal preference, uh, convenience, but train conductors were big customers of, of ours. It's like the traditional whistle. Um, lifeguards, people, you know, lifeguards, police, and military are big users of, of whistle, search and rescue, but train conductors, I don't know, Scott. You know what? We got to talk to a train conductor and <laughs> ask them why they prefer an electronic whistle to one they put in their mouth and blow.
0: Now, Too much there, sitting, no cardio, no, too much sitting. They have no breath. Well,
1: no effort, no effort, yeah. you know, and um, I don't think uh, train conductors are out there um, working out like you are in the gym every day mm. for an hour.
0: Yeah, that's uh, you know how COVID works. It's, uh, the gym has not seen my shadow since March. Uh, sadly, uh, that, that's right. But Scott, 33
1: years ago, when we did the Fox 40 whistle, our communication system was inundated with customers. Your your best ideas come from customers and employees, and we are experiencing the same thing. And and you know some of the people that are calling us are the best and brightest at what they do in the world. I just got off the phone with a volleyball referee in Nebraska, and he is sending an email of all the different improvements that he's suggesting we make to the electronic whistle. Now, isn't that great? Because 33 years ago, our engineer said to me, We've made the best whistle in the world. Will you dedicate the rest of your life to making it better? We're going through the same thing, the same journey that I went through 33
0: years ago. This whistle, and and for those who haven't seen it, it's a, it's a handheld. It almost looks like a mini, mini flashlight and you press a button and it makes the, the whistle sound. Now, I, I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me. It doesn't sound exactly like a like a typical Fox 40 whistle. Does that matter? Do people care that it doesn't sound precisely the same? It does matter, Scott. Uh, you've, um,
1: You've brought up a very good point. We are tooling up the new and improved Fox 40 whistle, electronic whistle, that'll be ready in January. It will sound exactly like a Fox 40. It'll be 140 decibels. We'll have a setting on it for 140 decibels, 120, and so on. And um, that's a very good question. Uh, it doesn't sound exactly like a Fox 40, and that bothers the traditionalists that are in love with their traditional Fox 40. So I would say that's, that's probably a flaw. The other concern, particularly hockey, uh, basketball, even volleyball, it's a mechanic change. It's a mechanic change because – Referees, plays happen so quickly, as you know, uh, covering sport. Refs don't have time to
0: think. Refs muscle memory, yeah, muscle memory.
1: Yeah, reaction. Yeah, reaction. And you throw
0: the whistle up to your mouth, and with this one, you're gonna chip your tooth if you do that. <laughs> that
1: that's true. Although you're gonna hold it, you know. So there's yeah, a there's a mechanic change. It's it's not automatic. In fact, I talked to the NCAA. And they want it a month before their season, uh, mm. if they play, so they can work on the mechanic change during all the um, all the scrimmages. The NFL, the same thing. we've shipped to the NFL. Now, Scott, you know uh, you're a lot closer to that world than I am. Uh, we don't know if they're all going to play or not. We, we know the NBA are going to go to the bubble. The uh, CEBL, uh, Great League in Canada, are going to the bubble. But we, honestly, we have to be ready if all these leagues, because if they play college and high school, that's a lot of
0: athletes and a lot of referees. Well, how many of these have you sent, by the way? How many, I mean, how many orders have come in? I think we're north of 100,000. How did, did you, so when this thing happens, when COVID happens, do you and your people then reach out to all these leagues or did you start getting people looking on your website to find an alternative and start making the orders? I'll be really blunt. They reached out to us. They, they found us. Like, for example, I wasn't joking.
1: Uh, European soccer, English soccer, the BBC phoned us this week uh obviously i think um you know it's 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 got some attention um we we have a relationship scott with just about every pro league on the planet and uh you know i'm on the board of the national association of sports officials for 28 years so um they're all calling um i was on the phone all day yesterday talking to these pro leagues and they want their whistles now. So I simply said, all right, Dave and Ronnie will get you their whistle. I'm going golfing. <laughs> but I, I no, mean, we, we're, we're communicating with, with just about every league on the planet.
0: We only have 30 seconds, which I'm sorry about because I wish we had more time, but I'm, I am wondering just as we finish here, how long until some other company, they're not going to rip off your design exactly, but surely someone else is going to see that you've had success with this and come up with their own model and try and horn into the market
1: you know in the traditional whistle people say who's your biggest competitor imitators and counterfeiters i'm sure they're doing it right now scott so what that means is we have to automate better market better
0: merchandise better communicate better and work harder it is, uh, it is well worth looking at. Steve Milton from The Spec did a piece. You can find it there. The New York Times picked up a piece on this, and there's a photos, and you can read about it there. Uh, Ron Foxcroft, congratulations on this. Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show Podcast on 900 CHML. For many years I've had a dream. We've we owned a cottage many years ago. My family did it with my grandparents, and it's too far away. And when my grandfather passed away, it was just it was not possible to keep it. And we've rented a cottage for years. And my dream, which will never happen in all likelihood, unless I win the lottery, which means I should probably start buying tickets because you don't generally win too often without buying them, is to own a private island. I want my own island just to be able to get away and you know, for some period of time, not to become the Unabomber and like hide out by myself as a hermit, just, you know, for a period of time. This all goes to the fact that I am not at all surprised by a story that I read this morning. Cottage sales, it seems, this summer, this year have exploded. Some reports say 25% increase in the number of cottage sales over last year. And this is as I say, not probably surprising when you consider that people want to get away, want to have free space, want to, they've been stuck inside. But on the other hand, you may also have noticed if you've ever done a little bit of looking on realtor.ca or whatever else, cottages are not cheap. Cottages on the water, especially not cheap, yet they're moving almost as fast as they get put on the market. So is this just a COVID thing? Is this all connected to that? Well, Catherine Innes is the current president of the Lakelands Association of Realtors up in Cottage Country area. She joins us now. Catherine, thanks for doing this today.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Scott. I'm always happy to talk about Muskoka and Perry Sound and Aurelia and uh, Halliburton, which is what the uh, Lakeland covers.
0: Well, are you, I mean, we I'm reading this story and I'm hearing other things about cottage sales. Are you guys up there seeing the same boom in sales that everyone else seems to be?
2: Oh yeah, I would say that uh we are seeing the biggest boom that everyone else seems to be seeing. We're the uh the the area um for uh for cottages, the most popular and famous area in uh I don't know, uh, North America <laughs> anyway, uh, Certainly <laughs> well- Ontario.
0: And not just that, but with that boom, I mean, we'll get to cost and money and, you know, the expensive cottages in a moment. But I mean, a lot of the Muskoka area, not cheap. And so for people to come up there and be looking to buy, I mean, people really want to get a cottage if that's happening.
2: People definitely really want to get a cottage. Now, Not it it has changed uh, uh, this year for sure. It's uh, ramped up even more. But uh, we have had a... uh, um, a seller's market for several years, Scott. Um, uh, this is a very popular area, and uh, people have been trending into retiring here, and now that, uh, that it's uh, COVID times, people are uh, deciding to move up here. Um, they've uh, Well, there are lots of different reasons that people are, uh, are moving here, and I'm sure you can ask me about that. But
0: well, and I'm wondering how much of this you were chalking up to COVID. I mean, clearly, as you say, this has been a popular thing for a long time, but with the sudden surge this year, I have to assume there's a connection.
2: Yes, definitely. I think people have uh, been, uh, you know, feeling restrained and constrained at home and not as, you know, some people, uh, certainly people with small properties right in the city and condo dwellers, uh, all different. all different situations, people have felt that they really need a little uh, space and uh, a, an area that they can escape uh, to. Now, one of the biggest uh, things that uh, we have seen is that uh, the need for using local realtors. We've always recommended that, Scott, but now even more than ever. Because cottages are selling so quickly, um, it's uh, it's not in uh, um, a buyer's best interest to use uh, realtors, say, from Toronto or the GTA to come up to Muskoka and surrounding areas to buy a cottage. You need to connect, either be referred by your realtor um, in the city, or uh, go online and, uh, you know, interview some realtors and find somebody who really knows the area so that you know exactly what you're getting into because it gets a little frantic here and there are um, there are multiple offers on properties you don't want to end up regretting what you did. Well wow. because it is big mean, investment.
0: We've heard that kind of thing in the city, especially in Toronto and in moving into Hamilton where you get the multiple offers and even the bidding wars, but I mean that does not sound like typical cottage real estate until very recently, I guess. That, that I mean, I, I've gone on at times and there's cottages that'll I don't want to say they sit there for a long, long time, but I mean there's a there's a little more of a relaxed flavor to cottage country, I would think, even in real estate, which may be changing now.
2: Uh, well, it has been uh it has happened on and off uh, over the past several years. I've been in real estate for the last 15, and we've certainly seen different times that uh, there are competitive offers, um, but uh, it is happening more and more often now. Yes. And so therefore the, uh, the reason not to be a broken record, but I guess I am about it. The reason to use a local realtor, because Mm. you need somebody who's going to be able to get all that background information for you before you go ahead and to do it quickly.
0: Did you see this coming? Did you guess that this was going to happen when COVID started, or has it been a bit of a surprise that this has taken off?
2: Um, I personally, uh, am not surprised at all. Because if you look at the whole supply and demand situation, um, there are only a, cert, a certain number of uh, properties available in Muskoka and the GPA, the Golden Horseshoe, the U.S. I just got a call from somebody, a Canadian living in Chicago this morning, who they really feel the need now to have a place to escape and a Canadian place to escape. So um I am uh, not uh, I'm not shocked just based on the overall um um supply and demand and it's not surprising that people want to uh want to escape um more crowded areas. They also I think that you know there was a bit of scare in the stock market. So once it went back up then people thought okay I want to invest in something more solid and certainly Muskoka real estate is a solid investment.
0: What about the people who have lived there or have places there for a long time? We've heard reports that some of the regulars are not thrilled with with this sudden influx and <laughs> in migration. What is the sense up there of that?
2: Um I think the locals are thrilled and delighted. I think really? that uh, okay. just like every other human being when this all started everybody was afraid and not knowing what to expect and not knowing how to protect themselves. Uh, People are wearing masks, they're washing their hands, are doing the social distancing. um, And as long as people coming in from other areas are respectful and are taking the same precautions so that we do keep this area nice and safe, they are so welcome. And we're looking forward to having more people live here year round because it's been an ongoing problem, Scott, that people are um, not employed properly here. All year round. So we have the dilemma of one of the wealthiest areas in Ontario, at the very least, with lots of expensive property, and uh, then um, local people who can't support themselves all year round. So um, this, this influx in people is most welcome.
0: And I, and you know, you mentioned work and you mentioned that kind of thing. This to me has to be one of the drivers behind this right now. One of the things that so many people have learned during this lockdown is that they don't have to be at the office to work. They can work from home. And if you can work from home, theoretically, I guess you can work from the cottage. And I got to believe that there's a lot of people who have said, wait a second, if I can work from the cottage, why am I not doing it?
2: Absolutely. You have that right on. And I think that uh, it's really helped that employers have been forced to experience that uh, telecommuting is a good thing, that uh, there are statistics to support that people are more productive when they're working from home. And yes, why wouldn't you want to work in an area that you can look out the window or just walk down to your dock at the end of the day and be at the cottage versus inside in your your office?
0: Uh, Yeah, because I mean, no longer... Well, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Uh, people are also uh, deciding that they're going to, you know, when you do um, you take the money that you get out of your place in an um, urban center, uh, it may not go as far as you were expecting it would. It will go farther if you buy a residence that's not on the water. You can get some beautiful places for 450000 500000 and then uh, rent a boat slip so you can be on the water anytime you want but also have a beautiful home and a nice little town that you live close to or in.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things that I think has f- scared people away from having a cottage for a lot of the time is that you have your home and you have your cottage and I've got to come up and I don't have all that much vacation and so I don't have a lot of time to use it and I'm just driving up for the weekends and it's a long drive to get there cuz Friday I, you know, drive all day and Sunday we got to leave and there's a lot of different things that could be a, a, that could scare people off but if it's not now your second home but it's your home uh, that again and and if you can work from there boy it, it it becomes I would think an awful lot more enticing for an awful lot more people
2: it's perfect and uh, the uh, local towns are working at having uh, um, events uh, during the winter so there's things happening all year round if you want to participate or you can just isolate yourself on your your dock or in your, make your backyard, your oasis. Absolutely.
0: I don't mean to make it sound like cottage country is in the middle of uh, Siberia or something like that at all, but (laughs) one of the, the catch in all this is if you are going to work from home and do the zoom calls and everything else, the one thing you need is strong and reliable internet. And not every place in the province has that yet. That's something that's been discussed a lot. Even here in Flamborough, they've talked about improving internet for, for farmers and stuff. What is it like up in cottage country? Is it strong? Is it, is it reliable that you could do that and and rely on it?
2: Yes, Internet is very strong in most areas. There are pockets that still need a little work, but uh, yes, and uh, that's something that your local realtor will be able to tell you about.
0: the, the, the fact that and, and you know the, the fact that cottages are expensive, as we pointed out, I mean I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. You could find some that would be a little cheaper, but I was on realtor..CA today and you know in the Kawarthas, easily you can find million dollar cottages. that's not hard to find. But if you decide that this is going to be your home and you sell in the GTA, uh, homes in the GTA are not cheap either. I mean, it's not like you're going to have no money to be able to buy one.
2: Excuse me, exactly. You, uh, you'll have money to, well, depending on what you're selling, but you'll have money to buy something small on the water or as I said, something, uh, something a little more spectacular off the water. But you're mentioning the courses and that's not where we are no we are halliburton Perry sound muskoka and aurelia just,
0: for just sure here. for sure no and, and you know as i say there are different cottage areas but yeah I, I happened to be looking there this morning just goofing around and and saw that and i was like you know the the it's mm-hmm. not it's not something that once upon a time you could maybe get with uh, with a few bucks and buy a piece of land as you could in the very very old days uh, now i know this is this is a second part of this and i know this is really not your area of expertise but being up there Um, it's not just buying the cottages right now. I was poking around for fun. Try and rent a cottage for this summer up in cottage country. And what you do when you go on and look for available dates is you get an awful lot of dates scratched out on the calendar. It's got to be the same reason. People just dying to get away from the city and get some open space, even if they're not going to buy a place.
2: Yes, people have, uh, just anecdotally, because I I don't specialize in that area, but people have been talking about uh, families coming up for the whole summer instead of just a week or two who are just, <clears throat> excuse me, really feeling that they need to get away from it all.
0: There is a conundrum in all this for me, and I don't know if you if you share this or not, and that is the cottage. When we go up to the cottage, when we rent a place, it's where I go to relax, and I'm wondering if I turn that into my office if I don't kind of take a little of that utopia away and need a new place to be able to find that relaxation or is there a way to, to balance those things that you don't turn your relaxation place into the place that you're now sort of is synonymous with your work
2: yes and i can speak to that directly i uh i understand what you're saying scott you definitely don't want to mix those two you want that feeling of your shoulders dropping and um a sigh of relief and being able to smell the pine trees and uh enjoy the granite and the water um I personally work from home for the most part. I have a dedicated office and I don't do anything other than work in my office. So it's a mental discipline that you come in at a certain time, you keep your schedule. And then once that office door is closed, you are at your cottage. And also, uh, you know, as I said before, at the end of the day, it's it's awfully nice when you can walk down to your dock and swim and, um, you know, be right on the water, so it's it's very convenient. It's it may be a little bit of a trade off that you don't have a completely separate place, but for the amount of money that you would spend on on maintenance and certainly the drive, that uh, it's better for you, it's better for the environment to to be here and then make the occasional trip towards the city.
0: Catherine, I think you may have a little more discipline than I do. I if I had a cottage right now and I was having to work, I. I Uh, there would be breaks every 20 minutes to go water skiing or fishing off the dock or something like i would i i would have a hard time just saying oh yeah no i'm shutting it all down for the next eight hours and doing nothing i i I would be a mess
2: well scott we have a private island for you in your future we've got something on uh, sparrow lake for six hundred thousand dollars i'm sure we can work something out and then you can uh, you can continue to commute but you'll be the only guy on the road so it'll be fine
0: that's well, and if it's my if it's my island, I mean, I just have a little golf cart, and it's the only road in town. So there you go. It's um, yeah. it, it. Look, it is it is for so many people, Catherine. It is a dream, and I think that again, the fact that people can now have now seen they can work from home, I, I really believe, and the reason I wanted to have you on, I really believe a lot of people are contemplating this kind of thing and saying, why am I stuck in the city if I could do this and have the thing I've dreamed about having, and it'll work now and then. No, it's no surprise to me, as it's no surprise to you, that the surge is on right now to, to buy up these cottages.
2: Yeah,
0: really appreciate the time, Catherine. Uh, Catherine Innes, President of the Lakelands Association of Realtors. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes today.
2: Thank you, Scott.
0: Uh, that is, as I say... Um... That is a dream. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sharing that to uh, for any reason other than my wife hears it all the time. Got to buy an island. Got to get a and and you know the trade off or the 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 conflict as it were. My wife doesn't share my idea that a private island would be the most glorious thing in the world. She looks at it and goes, "Well, wait. Now, what are we going to do on an island all day? Uh, and then when you go to get food, you got and you have to have a boat. Then you got well, yes, yes, but this is why it's a dream." not a reality. You got to have a dream, right? And when that lottery comes in, which again, I really need to start buying lottery tickets if that's the case, or discover that I am a distant relative of Bill Gates so that I can buy this, then, you know, then you'll find me on my private island. Don't need much, a little rustic cabin, a porch that I can look over the water, a dock, and a boat. It's not that much to ask for, is it? Well, actually, go online and look at the prices. Yeah, it is a lot to ask for. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to tell you a little bit of a story here. Um, As people in Hamilton, you are familiar with the Red Green Show and Red Green, I hope. Uh, Probably about 20 years ago, when the show was just enormous, a friend of ours moved here from Texas. And pretty much all he knew of Hamilton when he arrived here was red green, which is weird. I understand, but it's true because the show had been a massive hit down in Texas and he and his sons had watched it all the time. Anyway, he moves here and shortly after he arrives, there's a 50th birthday party thrown for him. And the friend who threw it lived was a neighbor of Steve Smith, AKA red green, and asked if Steve would swing by for a couple of minutes that evening just to say hello, because again, the guest of honor was a huge fan. Well, probably 10 o'clock that night, Steve shows up and he's come from some other function, very non-red greenish. He's wearing a suit and he's got his hair beautifully combed and the beard is all trimmed. And anyway, my friend is brought to the front door and introduced to Steve Smith and nothing, no reaction. Absolute. Okay. Why am I meeting this person? All right. And that is when Steve slipped into Red Green and gave him one of these.
3: Hey, Red Green here.
0: And my friend, the jaw hit the floor, the eyeballs bugged out, the skies opened, the heavenly host descended. It was an amazing thing to watch, which is all my way of explaining partially why he might be returning to character with a new podcast. Because Red Green, not just here, all over the place is a huge huge celebrity. Uh Steve Smith who is Red Green joins us now. Steve, how are you today? I'm good. That was a great intro. I'd forgotten that story. Yeah, that that was a good one he he had no i i was amazed that you could go that deep undercover basically doing nothing other than not wearing duct tape and yet it worked for you
3: if i if i take the hat off i'm usually yeah i'm usually done
0: (laughs) well i i was i was going to ask you right off the top if because you are bringing this podcast and i want to get into the podcast as we go along here but i want to ask you if you were happy that red green is back but you know as i was looking some stuff up today i realized red green has never really gone away
3: no, you know, I, I was hanging it up in 2006. I retired and I played 178 rounds of golf in 180 days. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> no, I wasn't good. It was just keeping busy. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I got somebody asked me to write a book and uh, they said they'd write any book I wanted to do as long as it was a red-green, the red-green uh, point of view. And away we went. And then the last nine years I've been uh, doing live tours, which I'd never done. It's not like I did that as a young man and returned to it. It was a whole new thing so but i finished that last year and my my brain is still active and and if i don't use it for something I, I just annoy my
0: friends is it is it good with you though and i mean is it a positive thing with you though that this character persists do, do you love the fact that he carries on
3: yeah i, I do well i created the character so it, it came from within it wasn't you know put on over top like a veneer like i it's, it's not uh uh, what's his name on on uh, Star Trek? You know, the, it, I don't. I don't. Re- I'm not Captain Kirk. I, I created Red Green. I'm, in fact, there's a blurry line between myself and Red Green. So yeah, I'm real comfortable. <laughs> Plus, the comments I get from people, you know, that just um, Red Green reminds them of someone in their family, and it's a person that they like. So it's it's a you know, it's not not a bad inheritance to remind somebody of somebody that they like.
0: Well, and I've always thought, and I, I've never been in your position, but I've always thought that if you're in entertainment and you hit the gusher, I, it might be wise to keep going with it. I mean, I know people can pigeonhole you, but at the same time, I mean, it's it's not a bad thing to be pigeonholed. That is, it's a very popular thing that makes people happy.
3: Yeah, I've never felt in any way hampered by having to speak through Red Green. Anything I want to say, he'll say on my behalf. He may say it a little bit differently, but the message <laughs> will be the same.
0: Uh, you mentioned when people come up to you, do people call you Steve or do they call you Red when they came up when they come up?
3: Oh no, they call me Red. They're, you know, they, Red Green is is way more famous than Steve Smith. In fact, I I've signed my name as Red Green more than I have as Steve Smith, and Steve Smith had a forty five year head start. <laughs> so what's <does> that? <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, back to the point, if you're, if you're doing anything, I guess that you're trying to do well and being pigeonholed a little bit, as opposed to not being remembered for anything, I mean, you'll, I, I, you'll take the being remembered for something every time. Sure. That's a good, that's a good trade-off.
3: And again, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as an actor. I'm I'm not, I I didn't have a big a career in mind, where I was going to play different characters and end up in a Shakespearean play somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'd like to see that.
3: <laughs> not, not red, green as
0: Hamlet. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just you know I I just needed a way to express my point of view, and this this turned out to be the greatest vehicle
0: for me. You just said a moment ago that red, green, you created it, and it came from you. I'm sure there are people. I'm sure you've told the story a million times, and I'm sure there's people listening who have heard the story. And so to them, I apologize, but they're going to hear it again, I hope. Uh, <laughs> where, where did Red Green come from? How did you, How did he get created?
3: Well, back in the day, uh, my wife and I, Morag, were doing a show called Smith & Smith, which we did out of the yep, in Hamilton. And uh, it was kind of like a Canadian Sonny and Cher. She was the pretty singer, and I was kind of the goofy guy. So I was always creating these little characters. Well, there was a guy named Red Fisher had a fishing show out of CFTL, I believe.
0: On Scuttlebutt Lodge.
3: Of, yeah, Scuttlebutt Lodge. And he had books of poems and he'd read these poems to you and, and he just had a real slow way of talking and walking and it'd be a half hour fishing show and he wouldn't catch anything and, and every time he came in on a float plane it was a, a 10 seconds of stock footage, always the same plane, landing on the same lake the same way and I just thought this is fantastic, he, it was like he didn't think anything would bore you, it was his his job to fill the half hour, it was your job to make it interesting so... <laughs> I I just thought, wow, wow, that takes a lot of confidence. I just love that. Not even aware that you're maybe not as interesting as you need to be. And uh, that became the Red Green character. That was 1978. And then uh, my wife decided to get out of show business, and our kids were going into high school and so on. I didn't know what I was going to do. So we decided to do one year, just do one season of Red Green. That was the summer of 1990. And 15 years later, I decided to hang it up.
0: The fact that you picked up on the Red Fisher thing and that that appealed to you, are you a fan of the, I don't know, the ludicrous? When you're feeling a little awkward and it's really off-putting a little bit and it's really strange, is that something that really appeals to you that catches your attention?
3: Yeah, I, I, like, those, I like those odd moments in life or, or someone who's, I, I especially like people who are unaware of how they're going over. <laughs> like a, yeah. a guy that I knew, I wouldn't call him a friend, he said to me one time, you know, he said... I'm the smartest guy I know. And I said, you need to get out more. So, you <laughs> yeah. know, that kind of that thing. It's just fun for me.
0: It, it was, um, did, did Red Green emerge from your imagination when you created him? Did he emerge fully formed or he has, has he morphed and changed a lot?
3: Oh, absolutely. It was, a, it was a process. When I was doing it, it was a two-dimensional, satirical character making fun of this fishing guy. And then when we made it into a TV show, and especially once we got a live audience in there, they forced Red Green to be a fully developed character. So uh, they they made him real, which I I owe them forever for.
0: I was thinking, uh, uh, you know, watching, uh, and I mean, uh, we've all watched, we've all watched, so we all know what the character is. And at first, you know, he he looks very um, Bob and Doug McKenzie almost- hoser Canadian very and then when you look at the success and and the way it connected in so many other places with my friend down in Texas and Minnesota all these other places clearly there's something a little more universal about him than just a backwoods Canadian guy
3: yeah there's something there that I don't completely understand but our our fan base is all over the map I mean we have a lot of highly respected intellectuals who are fans of the show and do uh, they admit it Sorry? And they admit it yeah, they admit it. I remember the month last month was uh got a PhD in astronomy and you know, it's, it's just but you got the guys who you know, after their third try at grade five they they you know, got out. They would have gone to grade six but their dad was there. We we have them too. So it's, I don't know what it is. You know, it's a it, it it's a common simple thing. I don't think it's a stupid show. I remember I was doing a, a pledge in um uh down in Indiana, El, Elkhart, Indiana. You know, that's right. it's it's a twin city with Notre Dame there, South Bend. And uh, we're on we're we're live on the air, and, the, and I'm down there helping them raise money. And the and the host says to me, you know, some people say this is a stupid show. <laughs> what do you say to that? I said, well, I've never had anybody smart tell me it was a stupid show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it takes though steve i imagine and and i believe this i mean you look at characters that are supposed to be very you know simpletons almost it takes a great deal of intelligence to be able to create those characters and make them likable
3: yeah that well i had some i had some great actors and uh i don't think anybody had bad intentions on the show and and, and actually those were, those people were like that those guys and i've told this before but 15 seasons i can't remember an argument, a harsh word, anything. I mean, everybody was just there trying to do the best they could and help each other, and that, I think that came through. And that's that's what the characters also shared. So, it was it it was a good match.
0: You said okay, so let's go back for a second because this was created as a as a last season of Smith and Smith as a character for a one-off something like that. How did it then end up getting its own? How did he get his own show? Did they come to you and say, "Man, you got to do a series out of Red Green," or did you go to them and say, "Hey, I can do a series out of this guy"?
3: Yeah, no, I, I went. I went to them after we finished with Smith and Smith, and I said, "I, you know, I, I want to make a try to make a television show out of uh, out of Red Green." I said, I, "I need you to give me enough money that I can do something, but not enough that you care what it is." <laughs> so that, because <laughs> I knew I needed some freedom, I just I wanted to have fun. I had done the whole thing where you. You get government money, and then you have a million people telling you what what works and what doesn't, and I was kind of fed up with that. So I'd rather have a smaller budget and total independence than the other way around, and uh, away we went.
0: How, how important was it that that character had existed even in a, you know, a very short bit? Because I, I'm guessing, and again, having never been in a pitch meeting for a studio or a TV, that would be a tough character or a tough show on its own to pitch unless someone had been able to visualize what you were talking about.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, it was, just, it was, it was at CHCH again. They, they, they knew the history. And we got, we got fan mail on that show right away. Like right? Fan mail, I should say, on that character right away. Like 1978, we were getting fan mail bait, uh, on that character. And in the early 80s, CH used to carry the Wednesday night uh, Maple Leaf hockey game. And uh, they never knew when it would finish. It might finish at 20 to 11. It might finish at quarter to 11. And the needed is something to fill. And they offered me, if I would do the red-green character, to fill in that, you know, whatever that was. And that was probably early 80s, 82, 83, something like that. I, I didn't, I didn't do it. But the fact that they were, you know, that interested in, in that kind of was another clue that maybe this is something I should pursue.
0: I don't think anybody in the history of the world has ever done as much for the duct tape industry as you have. <laughs> w- was that always part of the plan or did that become something partway along that he became the duct tape king?
3: Well, um, I, I studied a lot about branding and uh, I felt I had a brand with red green. And one of the, the keys of, of when you're trying to create a brand is if you can hook it on to something else. That people, that people are familiar with, it's got to it's got to be a good fit, but it's something much bigger than your brand, and then they start associating you with that. So every time they see that, they'll think of you, and so we we very consciously did that with duct tape.
0: This may be a crazy question, but the whole show is about you fixing stuff and doing stuff with your hands. Are you are is Steve Smith handy?
3: Yeah, uh, but there's a there, there's a limit. Uh, <laughs> if you've got... If you've got a, a a car that won't run or you've got a machine that's not working or something physical, you know, plumbing issue, electrical issue that's not right, it's not working, I'm your guy. If you want to redo your kitchen, don't call me. Nothing <laughs> I've ever done is good looking, including getting <laughs> myself ready to go out.
0: Well, do, I mean, do you do you ever wander into Home Depot or Lowe's or any of these places to buy materials?
3: Oh, gosh, I'm there all the time. I have a bunch of old cars that I work on myself. And...
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm in there all the time. The pressure on you when you walk into Home Depot, though, and people recognize you, the pressure on you must be enormous.
3: You know, I got to tell you, uh, Canadians are a pretty polite bunch. They'll say hello to me and then just leave me alone. You know, no, it's uh, it's all cool. Nobody nobody wants to fix anything the way I fix it either, so that helps. They're not going to ask me for advice. You know. Anybody who asks me for advice is in real serious trouble.
0: (laughs) But I bet that every single person who works there or person who's walking through who sees himself as a self-styled comedian tells you where the duct tape aisle
3: is. Oh, yeah. I usually sign duct tape while I'm there.
0: Do you, um, the idea of, and again, so many things that on the show you guys came up with as uses for duct tape, did you have staff that came up with all these ideas or were you sitting in your basement for hours on end between shows, testing stuff and trying to come up with ideas?
3: No, I, uh, I was always the head writer and so I hired, but I would have a team of four or five writers and, uh, everybody I hired being funny wasn't enough. They also had, had to have a mechanical sense and they had to have actually done things know how things work, have a sense of physics. And uh, we would just we would just draw them up. And I remember we would have a a meeting with our crew, and we always had our scripts done way ahead. So I, I'd probably give them at least a month's notice, and sometimes three months notice as to what it was that I wanted to do. And I would do horrible drawings and try to explain what it was, and they would take that. And every time they tried to surpass my expectation, and and they did. I mean, it was just it was a great team.
0: Did you ever have a duct tape sponsorship? You must have at some yeah, point. Yeah,
3: we did. We had 3M involved and. Uh, they were involved with our movie and they they sponsored the show and they provided all our duct tape obviously which was about a gross a season <laughs> <laughs> a whole second I factory a, going one time i got the roll before they cut it up it's three feet wide and i was going to use it uh in a skit where i was um waterproofing an old wooden rowboat and i just take one big wide strip of duct tape across the bottom well, everything was going fine until i had to peel the tape off the roll you you can't (laughs) it took like 12 guys to get
0: (laughs) i hope you have the uh the outtake from that one that'll be great i think
3: we aired all of our outtakes
0: (laughs) did you ever have a thought of giving up the character was it did ever get to the point when you said i need to step away
3: well quite the opposite um when uh when i went to cbc year year season seven we finally got to the cbc and they didn't they didn't really like the show i mean they they, they liked the audience. We had to build an audience by then, and that's really what they wanted, and, and they kept saying to me, okay, we're going to do red-green for now, but while we're doing that, we'd like you to think of another concept that you'd like to do as Steve Smith, and I never, I never followed through with it. I just thought, you know what? Play your aces. This thing's working. Why would we abandon? I, I'd rather stick with my audience than stick with the CBC, and that's what I did.
0: I mentioned off the top, and part of the reason, besides just wanting to have you on to chat, because it's a lot of fun, but you're also you have a podcast that's now starting, I believe, your first episode just dropped a couple days ago.
3: Yeah, it's, last, it's going to be the last Sunday of every month. Uh, it's the Possum Lodge podcast, but it's not like a podcast. It's like a radio show. There's, a, there's action in it. I do handyman corners. Uh, we, do, we talk to people out on locations and stuff. So it's, it really is like an old, old school radio show. We, the first one went last. Sunday, and uh, we've had great response. Uh, the odd thing is about it, we're not having any commercials, and we're not having any sponsors. So it's completely subscriber supported. If we get enough subscribers, we'll live on. If we don't, we won't. It's a it's a buck, Scott. It's one dollar. We say to people if you can't afford a dollar then you know what you you should be doing something else and if and if we and if it's not worth a dollar we should be doing something else <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was was this are you a, are you a big podcast listener or did someone come to you with this idea
3: yeah i'm not i don't I'm not a podcast listener at all but i i had the suggestion from other people but i've always loved radio when i'm old enough to that when i was a kid the shows were all on the radio all the comedy and the drama and the, and the mysteries and everything And I always love that medium. I, I, one of the reasons I have a pretty good imagination is because of radio, I had to make the pictures. I think it's good for your brain.
0: Well, and it is a bit of a stretch in the sense that, I mean, a lot of the red green show was visual. Um, the, 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 the outfit and you, and, and the, what you were doing, that's a, that's a challenge to try and translate that into just a verbal platform.
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, sound effects obviously play a big role. Uh, but the, we, we, the first one dropped on Sunday and, and the response has been, they didn't, they didn't think they would, that it would work, but it does, that they, they were able to follow along. So we'll see. Did
0: you have to, do you have to do much voice wise? I mean, you know, when I, when I'm talking to you now, people can hear red, green in your voice, even yeah. though it's not the full red, green voice. Do you yeah. have to do much? Do you have to exaggerate it now without, or is it just the same voice you've always used? No, 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 no. no. With
3: red, you have to go to him. He's he's not gonna, he's not going to make an effort to make it easier for you. <laughs> no, it's just the same old thing. Although with the radio, you know, I probably in the script will de- will describe a little bit more of what I'm doing, and then the sound supports that.
0: It is. Uh, it's a fantastic idea. Any any thought at any point of going back to TV, or is Red Green as a TV star done?
3: Yeah, it's done. I. I I like moving forward. You know, I, I'm, I'm an older gentleman, but I still feel fresh because I'm doing something new. So uh, TV's off the table, so are books. I did, I did a newspaper column for four years. I did a feature film. I've done live touring. I did four live tours, U.S. and Canada. Those are, they're all great memories, but they're done. Now I'm moving forward. The podcast is that we're going to do 12 of these, even if nobody subscribes. We're committing to 12, so we're going to give it a year to, 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 to see if it, if it works.
0: Please tell me that when you were talking right off the top about all the golfing you're doing now, please tell me that at least once in your life you've shown up at the course dressed as (laughs) red-green.
3: I I have because I've had to do some celebrity tournaments and I use a water balloon launcher uh, on
0: the par threes. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever played as red-green?
3: Oh, yeah. Have you?
0: Sure. Even at Hamilton?
3: Well, you get get a celebrity tournament and they want you to come because people want their picture taken with you so they want you in costume and everything.
0: It is, uh, it is the Possum Lodge podcast. Where can they find it if people are interested in you subscribing know, and getting to just it?
3: Just go to redgreen.com. That's the easiest and There's a link right there, and away you go.
0: It is, it is fantastic catching up. Last time we chatted, you left the studio with a bushel full of hamburgers uh, <laughs> after coming in to eat burgers on November. Oh, yeah.
3: November,
0: Do you remember that? You probably yes. still got some burgers in the fridge from that one. That was a. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're also huge. They were all huge, and I just remember Red Green, well, not Red Green, Steve Smith walking out with enough burgers to feed a small army for (laughs) half a month, but uh, listen, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk today. I hope people will will take a look at redgreen.ca or .com, did you say? Uh, Redgreen.com. Redgreen.com. Go take a listen to the podcast. Look up what else Steve has there. Steve, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Okay, Scott. Take it easy.